Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we continue our research series talking about unintentional neglect and how we can prioritize Gen Z based on what we learn from our research. We are continuing on in this series of research done by LCMS Youth Ministry, especially targeting that research that we did in 2017 on millennials and the LCMS. For that research, LCMS Youth Ministry partnered with LCMS Research to conduct a study of young adult retention uh, in the LCMS and in the larger church. This three-part study uh, sought to learn about millennials, now young adults, uh, to help prepare for working with Gen Z, who are currently in our youth ministry. Uh, If you want to hear more about those parts of the the research, you can go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about how we maybe hope our findings will help you with young adults and with youth ministry for our current generation. We're grateful to have an amazing team that worked on that design for the research and pro- processed the findings. Uh, just if you haven't noticed, that team included Mark, myself, uh, Ryan uh, Cornett, who you've heard from in a few of these episodes, who works for uh, LCMS Research, uh, Dr. Dave Reeder, who was with us last week, and Dr. Kevin Borchard, who's with us today. Our study wanted to look at many facets of the relationship between congregations and young people. We weren't entirely sure what pieces would prove to be important. As we looked through the findings, we saw pieces of hope and reasons for, well, frustration. And many of the things that we found pointed to something our team started calling unintentional neglect. And as we think about the young people in our church and what might impact them staying in the LCMS, this unintentional neglect is one of the most surprising and perhaps easiest things that we found that we can act on. At the same time, we wanted to start thinking about how our findings can be related to Gen Z, both what continues to be true from millennials to Gen Z and what is different about the generation of young people in our youth ministry right now. To break this down with us, we have Dr. Kevin Borchers. Dr. Borchers has served as a DC for 39 years and currently serves as a member of the Concordia Chicago faculty. He teaches primarily Christian education courses to students pursuing careers as professional church workers, particularly DCEs. Prior to his role at Concordia Chicago, he served as a parish DCE in Chicago and northern Minnesota, central Illinois, and northern Wisconsin. He has a PhD in organizational leadership and a master's in family life. He is married to Brenda, has three wonderful kids who are all millennials, and six grandchildren, most of whom are Gen Z. Kevin, welcome to End Goals. Uh, we're so excited to have you in this conversation. Um, you were such a, a huge and valuable part of our research team. Uh, so maybe can you share a little with us about your vocations and what brought you into that research team? It's it's good to be with you both again. Um, having served as a, as a director of Christian education, most of my focus during all of those years was with this generation, this young adult, this young youth and children's ministry. That was my focus um, for those years in the parish. And over the course of those years, I saw all of these kids that were staying connected, but I saw this other group of kids that weren't. And th- that just became, it's become kind of a passion of mine to find out what's going on in generations that are changing them. Um, changing their views about faith and about church and those types of things, and then also connecting them. Uh, how do we? How do we? Either 
attract them back um, or or keep them connected in some way. So that's what brought me to to want to be a part of your team. Well, and we were so pleased you uh, you joined us. I think uh, my favorite part was is we started asking people like who should we be talking to about this topic, uh, totally independent of anything else. Um, somebody emailed the LCMS to say you should be talking to Kevin Borchers about this, and we we're like, oh, fancy that we've already we've already talked to him. Yeah, I think I think it was said like Kevin has only answers. I think is what right. I yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, good, uh, we're talking to the right guy. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that going <laughs> forward this morning at this point. Um, yeah, so super uh, helpful in, in helping us think and analyze a lot of the things that we saw. Um, in our discussions in the research team, as we kind of uh, talked through and and processed through the findings that we had, I think I don't, it was you or it was somebody else on the team who really brought this term unintentional neglect to the surface that we really resonated with. Um, for a number of reasons. Uh, what were you seeing in the data that sort of prompted that to be a, a theme that we pull out? I think it was right before we did the Youth Ministry Summit that as we were getting really going in depth in some of the research at that point and some of the statistics that jumped out to me as we began diving into it were the fact that 23, 23% of the congregations in our synod didn't have usable records where they could track youth that were being confirmed. Um, in some cases, there were congregations that had written records that were, weren't overly usable, but it was this one quarter of our churches, if that's representative, could had nothing that they could draw from. They didn't know where those students were. And, and another one that stuck out was that um, just under half, about somewhere between 40, 45% of the, of the congregations didn't know where their young adults were. Uh, I mean, they had confirmed them. Some of them maybe had stayed a little active during their high school years, but as they, as they left home or went away to college or moved for jobs, um, they had no idea where they were and, and no way to track them down. And, and the, that as a minister, as a DCE, that breaks my heart, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we don't know as we value the relationships that we have with the people, it broke my heart. Um, and, and one of the other things that stood out to me in this process is that um, of those, of those that um, stayed connected, over half of them felt you know, that, that the church, their congregation had helped them through some of the transitional stages of life, you know, moving out of mom and dad's house to into the college and then onto the work. The congregation was one of the biggest supports and the people of the congregation were one of the biggest supports. And so losing that, I felt like it, it was doing damage it, 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 and it was preventable damage. And that's why I think right before summit is when I coined that, that phrase, unintentional neglect. I, I really think that nobody wants to lose young people. I mean, I think no. we talk to youth ministers and they have a heart for it. Um, and it is truly, in some degrees, unintentional, um, not malicious, not because you know, we don't want these young people to be in our church, but truly a matter of like, we just don't have the capacity or the ability to, to track them um, and to continue to, to connect with them. I think in our congregations, we hear that you've heard it and I, and I hear it as well. Where did our young people go? Where did, you know, where did they go? 
And, and I think the question that those in church leadership at all levels, I did, from the congregation all the way up, is why don't you know where they went? It's that if, if, if it's about the relationships that we have on, on the front lines, um, then we need to know. We need to have that idea. Yeah. When, yeah. when you started talking about this, Kevin, um, I mean, one thing that like, came to my mind, I, like, I kept thinking like, okay, if I now take a call into a parish or for pastors or DCEs or others who are moving from one church to another, um, who don't have a long-term relationship with the congregation, it's like, boy, I mean, you need those records to understand who the congregation is, who the flock is, who are the people we're connecting with. So like, if you don't have good numbers there, good data there, where do you start? Um, and to be able to understand like where those relational connections are. So that was one of the things that always popped into my mind. But why else is it important for congregations to keep good records for their members, uh, maybe especially for compromise? You mentioned some, but are there other like specific things when we're talking about the record keeping that they should have in mind about that? Well, I think, I think you, you kind of started to allude to it there, Mark, when there, there's a law gospel, our good theology, right? There's a law gospel effect in regards to being a nonprofit organization, which is what churches are considered to be by the by the Internal Revenue Service. The law part of that is in order to maintain that status, you have to keep good records, particularly if you if you are soliciting or are you receiving any kind of donations from your congregation, you're legally responsible to the Internal Revenue Service to provide accounting for that. And you have to provide that to the membership, which means that you have to maintain good membership records. That's the law aspect. But then there's the, there's the gospel, you know, the 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 call of Jesus to to Peter when he says, you know, um, Peter, do you love me? You know, care for my sheep, feed my sheep, you know, care for my lambs. And it's it's the relationship aspect. We have no way as as church workers transition. Mark, you brought it up as church workers transition and receive calls from God and from congregations to go serve elsewhere where their gifts and talents are, are needed in the body of Christ. New people coming in or people that are filling in the gaps need to have some kind of way to what are the relationships that are already established and how do we keep in touch with people? And I think that's in today's world, in in, in our COVID world today, I think that's even more important because we're not able to be with people face to face. I'm not able to go over the local university campus. I can go to my campus, but I can't go to one of the other university campuses because of, of guidelines to see one of my youth or to see one of my young adults who's there. And so we need to have some kind of a way to track it. So there's a, there's a gospel aspect of feeding and caring for the sheep and lambs that are, that, that goes along with maintaining those records. And there's historical as well. We could, right. I mean, you could get into that. <laughs> It's amazing to me uh, just how important good records suddenly became when in our new COVID world, when we, we went to the situation where we couldn't meet face to face. And I think um, if you didn't see the evidence of, of needing to have good records before, uh, certainly you do now as people are trying to communicate uh, when worship is, how we are managing worship um, down to youth ministry. So um, really it is uh vital to that maintaining of a relationship uh, for us and our, and our young people. Uh, I, I know unintentional neglect, really, we talk uh, a lot of that was uh, was maintaining the records, knowing where people are. But I do think there's a lot of we saw there also about this neglect that can happen in transition, either when a church worker transitions um, and people on the margins get lost because there aren't good records or just because um, it, people aren't transferring that kind of relational care. 
um, or um, sort of not having that transition. You referenced this earlier, not having somebody walk them through transitions in life and have that be a moment where they kind of drop off. Um, we certainly saw that in, in the drop off we saw post high school graduation, <laughs> that transition when it's not cared for um, can really be very quickly become kind of that unintentional neglect. Uh, how might congregations move from that unintentionally losing young people at that moment of transition to deliberate ministry as they move through those times? I think the key word there is deliberate. Um, as a, you know, we, we were deliberate in selecting the concept of relationships in, in entitling our study. Right. And cause that's what we found to be one of the most important aspect. And I think it comes down to, um, individual people that are doing ministry, whether you're doing it professionally or whether you're doing it as a volunteer, it's, it's being intentional and focusing on developing and maintaining those relationships. Um, when, when, when COVID hit, a lot of people were like, I can't see my family. I can't see my kids. My wife was crying because she couldn't see her grandchildren. Right. Um, and so we had to find new ways of being intentional about that, um, with individuals, and, and as it relates, and it kind of relates to what we found in the research too, as it relates to, to young adults, to, to Gen Z, there's this aspect of people, they need to feel like they know other people, that they can connect with other people. It, it's, it's the issue of those of us that are either professional or even volunteers in ministry and just congregational members in general developing relationships though, so that each of us knows other people, but more importantly, that common need that we share to be known by other people. Okay. Um, relationships, relationships can, can be one way streets. They can be two way streets and the, and, but the best relationships are those that are built on trust. They're two way. There's mutual trust there that I can be open with you. I, I can talk about the things that I need to talk about with you without feeling like you're judging me. I, I can do that in my small group. And we're all, we're all, you know, older, I should say older adults. Um, you know, we're over 50. But at the same time, those are young adults, our teens and our, our college age students and those that are just out of college in the workforce. They have a need to be able to express themselves without being judged and without judging, I have to add, I'll, I'll add that, um, and not feeling like we're condemning them. Um, and sometimes I think that does come across, that that they can feel like we're looking down on them because of the ideas. And, and let's keep in mind that with Gen Z in particular, with those that are, you know, 23, 24 years old and younger, they're still forming their worldview. They're still developing their values. Um, and, and that's being impacted by all the different people that are around them, parents, church, the workplace, their friends, all of that comes into play. And so they need a place where they can be able to open those, ask those, those open-ended questions and, and to get an answer, or even sometimes it's just it helps the relationship just as much to say, I don't know, but I'll find out, you know, uh, and can we take this journey together? But I think also there's this issue of families, you know, my, my background in family in family ministries looks at everything from a system. Right. Yeah. And, and so what's going on in the home can sometimes be a mirror 
has to be mirrored by what's going on in their lives as well. Um, and so, you know, as we work with, with, I tell the, the, the students in my youth ministry class, for example, you're never just working with teenagers. You're always working with teenagers and their parents and their siblings and oftentimes grandparents. And now uh, if, if we've got, you know, depending on what's your family situation where you're being raised by a grandparent, a lot of them are. Um, those are all the, the home. The family is a good connecting point for the current. But when those youth transition and, and that's the issue here, when they transition away from home, sometimes the only way that we have to stay in touch with them or to keep in touch with them is through parents, through the family. And so I think it's just important to maintain those kinds of relationships back where we're at, especially today, if they're, if they're going away for jobs, if they're going away for school, military service or what have you. Um, and, and, you know, we, we touch on the, the accurate record keeping. That's, that's a tool. Mm-hmm. That's only a tool. It's all it is. Uh, it's a tool that contributes to our relationships, which is the, mo- the most important part. And it's maintaining that relational connection is what helps us to be the tool in Christ's hands to be maintain the relationship that they have with him. One word that came to mind is you're kind of saying some of that is I think this kind of capacity for empathy, maybe, you know, by the church, by parents, by peers, whatever it might be to understand situations that young people are going through. And so I think Julianne kind of said this in the introduction, you know, we, we researched millennials, we heard from millennials um, to hear about their experience in the church and to help and support them and to help churches connect with millennials, but obviously to talk about youth ministry with Gen Z. And you're, you're seeing things as a, a parent to millennials, as a grandparent to Gen Z uh, young people. Um, I want to talk a little bit maybe about, there's certainly going to be those bedrock things that we see, relationships, transitions, those things are going to happen regardless of the generation. Um, but what are some of the ways in which you see Gen Z is showing to be different than previous generations? And I know right now, coming out of COVID, there's some things we're probably still keeping our eyes on and how does that shape a generation? But maybe both, at least before what you saw, and maybe some things we're even pointing towards moving ahead. What are some differences that you see between those generations? Gener- generationally, I'm a proponent of every generation is defined by an event that's taken place in history. Okay. I mean, we talk about millennials being defined by 9-11, right? Um, we talk about um, Gen Z being defined as as the latchkey kids, um, the, the first generation to stay at home. This generation, Gen Z, um, those that are 23, 24 and younger, are... are more, have been more greatly impacted and defined. Their lives have been defined by COVID-19, I think, than any other generation. Um, you know, we were talking previously about how some of the other generations, well, we'll just have to roll with the punches. This generation can't do that. They're not equipped yet to do to do that type of thing. Um, Gen Z, their, Gen Z, one of their number one values as a generation overall, especially the older ones, is completing their education, completing their education, whether it's high school, whether it's college, making those transitions from high school to college or college into the workforce, their educations and the completion of that, especially for the seniors in high school or college, were absolutely disrupted. Everything was taken away from them. Um, we see it in the sports world too. Those that are going to be seniors that were looking to play in the NFL or, or professional sports, they're, they're deeply concerned whether or not their career as a professional athlete is now going to happen. Um, those that were in the workforce, the, the, the oldest Gen Zs that were already out of college or they had not gone to college and entered the workforce, 
guess who the first ones to be laid off were? Right. It was Gen Z. They were the ones who 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 propagated those unemployment numbers when when COVID first hit, um, because they're in those lower level jobs. They're in those service industry jobs still. Um, so that's been an effort, uh, an area of difference um, that affect this other one. This generation more than any other um, is defined by racial and ethnic diversity. Um, this generation um, is by its own, by its own makeup, more diverse. Um, I'll just compare baby boomers, for example, because I'm one of the youngest baby boomers. Um, my generation, my baby boomer generation were basically viewed as being 82% white. This generation, Gen Z, is only 52% white in, a, in the United States. Um, increases, we can see increases across the board, especially amongst Hispanic youth and, and Asian youth. African-American black youth have, have pretty much remained, the numbers have remained so relatively flat. But as far as those other two, we've seen particular growth. And the greatest growth has taken place uh, amongst the Asian population, the Asian population, the Asian youth in ours. But it's not just their numbers in regards to diversity. It's their view and acceptance of diversity. Um, they're more likely to have friends of, of racial difference um, than, than what you and I would have. They're, they're okay with um, multiracial relationships, much more than, say, my grandparents or my parents might have been. So that racial diversity is a big deal. Um, but there are some things that we need to recognize um, about the issue of diversity. And diversity is not, it, it's not homogenous across the United States amongst Gen Z's. It's geographic, um, particularly, you know, where our church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate are found there in the, here in the Midwest, those numbers pretty much fall in line with those national numbers. But if you go out onto the West Coast, instead of being 52% Caucasian white, that number drops to 40%. And the, and the number among Hispanics and Asians goes a lot higher than what it was. So we have to recognize that there's some, there's some diversity issues there that, that are definitely um, affect, have an effect on, on the differences in this, in this generation as well. Um, I think some of the other things, Mark, to your question, um, this generation and the millennial generation, the one we, we did our study on, they share similar values, but they're not in the same order, um, where this generation has a higher value on completing their education and even having a, a formalized education because more of their parents were college educated, had one or more um, college degrees than millennials even did. And, and that just gets the, the, the difference between generations gets greater as you, as you get older as well. That's one area. Um, I think that, that they're different in this is also, and, and this is also the generation that is most targeted for marketing. Um, it, 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 everything you watch on TV, quite honestly, is designed to attract this generation. Um, one, because of uh, not so much now during the during COVID-19, but um, they're, they're, they're so large. The Gen Z generation 
is rapidly growing to be the largest. Okay. Um, and we're finding that out and it's, and they're going to, just like the boomers did, they're going to change different pieces of society as they get older. It's amazing to me that, you know, we can look at generational data and we studied a lot of this about Gen Z, uh, even before, uh, uh, before COVID. And then now we have this COVID experience and I'm going, I have no idea how this is going to impact them in large part because you're thinking about exactly what you said, that they are such a high achievement um, generation. They're all about what they want to get out. Um, they want to be uh, they want to own their own businesses. They they are a very action oriented generation, and then to suddenly have something like this step in in a very critical moment for many of them as they enter the workforce, as they enter college, as they as they enter high school, to be so disruptive to their plans. I am I, I you know that's a prayer for me for those young people as they as they navigate through that. Um, and then also to have on top of that, this identity of them being the most diverse generation we've seen in a variety of different ways. Uh, and then to have so many issues coming up in our culture around racism and race uh, for us to say like, okay, what is that going to do um, in that kind of particularly to Gen Z's generation and to their formation uh, of their identities in this young age? I agree. I agree. And I think this is something that we in the church need to pay attention to. If this, if this, I like the phrase or the term that you use, Juliana, disruptive. Um, if this generation is going to be a disruptor, okay, not in a negative sense necessarily, but they're going to be ones that are going to change is going to occur because of just the sheer size of this generation. We as a church, a historical church body, how do we do that? How are we going to cope with that? Because those of those that are still um, in the congregational leadership and in, in district leadership and in, in synodical leadership to some extent are of that early Gen Z, late boomer thinking generation. And if they're more diverse, if their thinking is more diverse and more disruptive than previous, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with the conflicts involved in organizational change? Um, and not that we're going to compromise anything about faith. I don't think, I don't hear anybody, you know, except for maybe on some of the fringe areas within the church calling for any kind of theological change. I hear, you know, how we do things, um, and, and I won't even go down some of the paths with that, but there's, we have to deal with some of those issues and wrestle with it. And the only way we're going to be able to do that, let's go back to the beginning, is through having a relationship of where we can sit down and we can talk and we can work through that in a manner of trust and care and love for one another. I practically as an institution, right? Practically as an institution, I, I think the church is, is uh, underprepared for the disruption that Gen Z is going to bring. Um, and uh, we should certainly be looking at what it is that this generation um, is asking, um, what they're be in that relationship with them so that we understand um, how I think they can bring some really positive um, ways to share the gospel, some new ways of, of, 
of taking Jesus into uh, a culture that maybe uh, where that's very countercultural. They have a lot of ability to do things um, in a new and different way that's, that's going to be really encouraging if we take the time to get to know them, if we take the time to understand them. Exactly. Um, we're certainly not going to go into, like you said, all those specific ways that that can happen. But do want, no. do want to give you a chance to talk about maybe a hope that you see for Gen Z's discipleship um, in their faith and also the relationship with the church. Any like big picture stuff that you see um, coming out of that? Words of encouragement you'd give to our congregations about that? We talked. Yeah, we. I mean, we talked um, prior to the last national youth gathering about the issue of vocation. Um, and, and I look, I've, I've kind of adjusted my definition not it's more of a personal adjustment of, of the idea of vocation. You know, there, there is that, that calling, that calling from God, um, that, that plan that God has had and listening to that call and what God wants you to do, um, but I think there's also this issue of passion. This generation is really passionate about a lot of things, okay? And I think it's coming to an understanding um, of what drives that passion. And I hate to sound like we're using it, but how do we? How can we, as a church, capitalize? On that, on that passion that God has given them, um, and how can we, how can we have some of those conversations about those passionate issues, so that it impacts not just this generation but the, the society as a whole? Because aren't we called to do ministry to the entire church, right? Um, and, and so, how can we, how can we use the passion that God has given this generation? To, to, to make an impact on society because one way or another, they are, they're going to make an impact. And so how can we stay connected? I think looking at at what we've talked about with the relationships, how do we, how we stay connected with them um, and, and, and remain not only a support and influence, but just someone that they can turn to and, and, and looking at it. And I think that's one of the things that gives me hope is looking at what they see as their vocation and, and their passion. Building those relationships, that's the, that's the biggest part. I would certainly say uh, that we have, uh, based on all of the meetings we had around this research, could probably talk about this for another set of hours. <laughs> um, we, we never went short on our meetings, for sure, as no. we thought through a lot of these issues. And, Not at uh, all. And so I would definitely point you uh, both if you go to the e-source, Dr. Borchardt wrote a great uh, piece that we have up there about that unintentional neglect and the value of record keeping. If you need to print that out, send that to some leaders or for you to process that yourself. Um, We also, uh, you know, certainly want to send you to the book. Uh, Dr. Borchardt was a heavy uh, part of the uh, chapter on Gen Z that's a part of that book. Um, It's still free and available at CPH. So we want to uh, thank you for being here and having this discussion with us, uh, particularly on these issues. We know there's so much more to say, but we are, we're grateful for your participation in that. Thanks for having me with you all. It's good to see you again. Great.
Uh, so while we didn't ask Gen Z directly questions in our research, uh, there are clearly things we've learned while continuing uh, that can continue to give us insight into that generation and into future generations. Uh, it's important for us to remember that while generational data gives us valuable information, it's not nearly as important as we talked about today as knowing your young people individually. Uh, no one can be completely explained by large-scale data. Uh, instead, uh, we can use generational data to start conversations and engage better in learning of the, about the young people that we serve. We also want to encourage youth leaders to be intentional about how to develop relationships, keep records, and walk with students through transitions. And while we know that there are many demands on your time as a youth leader, we know how unintentional neglect most often results in young people walking away from the congregation either for a time or for good, and that your service is so very important in keeping them connected to the church. So some closing questions for you to consider. How might you ensure your congregation has good, usable records uh, that can last through staff transitions? Second question is, how can you help, how can you provide additional support to young people during times of transitions? And finally, how can you learn more and prepare for Gen Z in your youth ministry? Uh, we will continue to keep you in our prayers as you uh, do very important service to youth. And as you navigate the many demands on your time, uh, we hope that our findings can shed a little light on how you can intentionally care for the young people in your congregation. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive review. It helps other people find us. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Music.